Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Thorn Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Adelman. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Key Flaming. Thanks again for uh, stopping by the uh, the program and getting your copy of the uh, the show wherever you get your uh, a podcast and your episodes of the Pipeline Show from. I'd really like to know, actually. I've been doing some uh, some research to see where uh, the show is being picked up uh, the most. Uh, and uh, so I'm curious to, to hear where you actually get it from. You can uh, drop me a line at TPS underscore Guy on Twitter. You can always email me as well, Guy at the Pipeline Show. Dot com. If you're a newcomer to the, to the show, then uh, perhaps even better, I want to know how you found out about the show and uh, what intrigued you enough to uh, download an episode. And I'd also really appreciate wherever you do get your uh, copy from, if you have the ability to leave a comment or a rating or both, uh, take a second and do that uh, if, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I would really appreciate it. I'm just trying to figure out ways to uh, you know get more exposure uh, for the show. As the uh, the world of podcasts is uh, just growing and growing and growing so much, I want to make sure that people are still finding uh, the Pipeline Show. And so, uh, listener ratings sometimes uh, help boost uh, you know programs up uh, or various rankings and things like that. So, if you like the show, uh, tell some friends and uh, maybe uh, let people know uh, with a rating and or a comment. I would appreciate it. Let's get to uh, this week's episode, and uh, we'll start with the question of the week, which I actually put up on Twitter really early in the week. Kind of a, a random question. It just popped into my head just about the national anthems before games. I was thinking, why why do we play the national anthem uh, before games? Whether it's you know in the can- in Canada or in the states, doesn't matter. Uh, but wh- when did that practice start? And is it relevant today? Do do we need to play the national anthems? Would people be upset if they didn't play the national anthem uh, before uh, a sporting event? Not just in general in hockey, but you know, because it came to my head, I, I go to Oil King games and they always do a, you know, a thing with the, one of the local schools. So you get a, a choir of grade two or grade three year olds, you know, and they come in, they're standing on the ice and they half of them aren't singing. Some of them are watching themselves on the jumbotron at center ice and there's no emotional uplift uh, from it or anything like that. It's like, oh, we got to stand for this again. And that's not what you want from the national anthem. So that's what how the question came to me. So I, I put it on on Twitter, and overwhelmingly the response was, "Get rid of it. Just just we don't need it anymore." Uh, I mean, when it started, it was I think in the states uh, back uh, between World War One and World War Two as sort of a I mean a nationalist tool to to help recruiting and uh, to support a sense of nationalism. Uh, but that's almost a hundred years ago now, and do we still need to do? It? I know there are countries not in North America, that don't play it in front of uh, their sporting events. So maybe we should just be reserving it for things like the Olympics or na- international events like, you know, the World Junior Championship or the World Hockey Championship or, you know, take it to other uh, sporting events. And maybe you say for the big things like the World Series and the All-Star Games and the Super Bowl, uh, but for a regular season game between... Uh, Moose Jaw and uh, and the Seattle Thunderbirds. Do you need to be playing national anthems in November? You know, so that was the the thought, and overwhelmingly, people said we don't need it anymore. So uh, curious to see uh, how you guys feel about it. Uh, for those who didn't uh, participate in the in the question at the time, you, you can also just do it now. Uh, fire me off a thought on Twitter. Uh, I only have two guests on this week's episode. Still proving challenging. Uh, trying to find guests. 
uh, during uh, the pandemic, and uh, now it's uh, thick into July. But as always, my guests joined us courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The tap room back open in Red Deer, and uh, boy, talk about craft beer worth sharing. Looking forward to uh, the days ahead when we can get to the tap room, and uh, I can just uh, team up with uh, maybe Andrew Peard and Cam Moon, and we can go to the tap room and enjoy a, a beverage uh, at lunch or something like that. That would be fantastic. If you're going into the tap room, tell them you heard about it on the Pipeline Show, and that'd be great. Don't forget, you can also get same-day home delivery. You order by 1 o'clock. And you spend 50 bucks, and that home delivery is free. Uh, now, that's limited to Alberta right now. But uh, go to their website at troubledmonk.com, place your order, uh, and enjoy some uh, delicious craft beer. A couple of news and notes uh, items to pass on uh, first, though, as well. The CHL has appointed an independent review panel uh, to go through their current policies and uh, practices in uh, all three leagues that relate to uh, hazing and abuse and bullying and uh, harassment and uh, also the idea that uh, why uh, players don't feel comfortable reporting those types of things. Um, so I think it's an important uh, step. Uh, now, they call it an independent review panel. I wanted to get one of the uh, panelists on the show this week uh, to talk about it to see how it remains independent and that they're not being over. There's no oversight by the league that they have complete anonymity and how it all works uh, moving forward. Uh, but was not able to line up the guests that I was uh, searching for. But uh, the three uh, people that were uh, named, uh, Camille Terreau, who was a uh, former premier of New Brunswick, Danielle Savageau, who, according to her uh, bio, uh, has more than 33 years in of service in uh, policing. And she is an investigator and also a uh, former uh, gold medalist uh, for women's hockey here in Canada back in 2002. Actually, uh, took part in 10 Olympic Games over the course of her uh, playing and coaching career. Uh, and Sheldon Kennedy, who uh, I think is probably the biggest name uh, of the uh, the panel. Of course, former WHLer, one of the victims uh, from Graham James. Since going public about everything that he had to go through as a, a player, Sheldon Kennedy has been a, a driving force in uh, trying to uh, bring awareness to uh, sexual abuse in sports. Uh, and uh, he's down in uh, the Calgary area. He's uh, he's co-founded the uh, Child Advocacy Center down there and also the Respect Group, which is specifically uh, set up to uh, tackle those subjects about bullying and abuse and harassment and discrimination uh, in sport. Uh, so it seems to me uh, a pretty qualified uh, group of people. I don't know if that's the, the extent of the group, if it is just three people or if they're sort of the uh, the figureheads. Uh, that's one of the reasons I was looking to get Sheldon Kennedy uh, on the show this week. And I sent an email, and perhaps I'll get him uh, in the near future. That would be great. I heard a great conversation uh, just yesterday, actually, uh, John Keane had with uh, Mike Boyle, the uh, voice of the uh, Kamloops Blazers. That's John Keane uh, speaking with Mike Boyle, who's the voice of the Spokane Chiefs. And they were talking a lot about uh, this current situation uh, uh, for the how the pandemic is being held in uh, Washington and in that in the Spokane area, and uh, what uh, John asked, what Mike thought, you know, the potential was that we're going to start the season here on October second as uh, penciled in, uh, and I agree with both gentlemen. I think we're uh, far off from being able to uh, uh, picture the day when fifty percent of the rinks can be filled with fans and uh, the border is open to travel back and forth for players. You know, call me a, a pessimist. Uh, I'd I'd like to consider myself a realist. I don't think uh, hockey is coming back, junior hockey or college hockey is coming back anytime soon. Uh, but you can check out Keener's uh, Twitter feed uh, for the audio of that conversation. That's it for the news and notes. Uh, let's get to the uh, guest list and what's coming down the pipe today. A couple of guests you're going to hear from. A longer segment to uh, start the show. Uh, Sean Sutter is the assistant GM of the Red Deer Rebels. It's uh, the son of Brian Sutter, the nephew of Brent Sutter, who is the owner in Red Deer. But I had a conversation with him about scouting at the WHL level and the unique challenges that it possesses, especially compared to the NHL, but even a little bit in regards to uh, the other uh, CHL leagues where you're drafting a year older there. Uh, but some really good insight into what teams are looking for in players these days. Also, what the uh, the U.S. draft was like for the WHL this year and hearing and talking to all the American families and, and what they thought of the WHL before 
they had that conversation and uh, some of the misconceptions that they may have had. Um, so lots of really good information. Uh, in-depth conversation with Sean Sutter. And we'll end it uh, this week with a 2020 draft spotlight. Uh, a player out of the USHL, defenseman Mitchell Miller, who's uh, ranked by a lot of uh, scouting companies out there as a uh, potential second-round pick. Played for the Tri-City Storm this past season. He's off to North Dakota. Uh, so you'll hear from him as well. So just the two guests. But we will start with uh, Sean Sutter, the AGM of the Red Deer Rebels. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, this is Ben King of the Red Deer Rebels. Puts it on goal, scores! Ben King tipped it home, and the Rebels win it 4-3 in overtime. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. When the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see. Hi, I'm Sarah from Arcan Trailer and RV. We know many lives have been altered and plans have changed, but something that hasn't changed is everyone's desire to make new memories with their families. Arcan wants to help you go camping this summer and we'd like to make your payments for you. This isn't a deferral. We'll make your payments all summer long. Or if you currently have an RV but need a new one, trade it in and we'll make your payments too. It's on us. Visit ArcanRV.com for details and start planning your best trip ever. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. This is The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we're going to have a in-the-dub segment to uh, kick off this week's episode. Uh, of course, those always brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. You can stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League. Uh, make Dub Network uh, one of your uh, visits. In fact, uh, subscribe to get your daily dose of the dub. It comes right to your inbox, and you don't even have to search for it. Couldn't be any easier than that. Uh, my guest today comes to us where uh, we're going to have a, a talk about uh, scouting and how hard it is to scout at the WHL level. Uh, pleased to be joined by the uh, Red Deer Rebels assistant GM. That'd be Sean Sutter. Mr. Sutter, welcome to the program. How are you? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you right now. I know it's strange days and who knows what the the immediate hockey future is going to be, but what what is business like right now? Do you, do you have to operate as if everything is going to start on October 2nd as uh, the, the league has, uh, at least uh, to this point, laid out. That's the plan? Well, I think most of those conversations that's kind of happening right now regarding the league and what's going to transpire take place are happening more at the governor level uh, or at the ownership level. And then that filters down to uh, management and everything you do. Obviously, there was the uh, there was a statement put out by the Western Hockey League about beginning the first week in October. So, mm-hmm. you know, you tentatively plan for that. But, you know, you, you know, you're getting direction from your ownership, you know, what things are going to look like. And, you know, they're they're obviously putting together a, you know, return to play program and everything like that. So, you know, we want to do everything we can, you know, for, for our players. You know, they're obviously young guys and it's a development league for for them to have, you know, an, you know, a normal season, you know, and play a lot of games. It's just a matter of when we're going to start. How have you had to uh, treat this off season? I know most teams would have some sort of camp in the middle of the summer to try to uh, introduce the new players to the organization after – uh, the the uh, the ban draft and things like that, and nobody's been able to do that, I don't think. But how do you stay engaged with the the players that you hold the rights to? Well, I know for us, for the ban draft process, you know, we, you know, and even for the U.S. draft, uh, the way we do our interviews, we, you know, we almost recruit, you know, for the normal ban draft, you almost recruit 80 to 100 players with the way you approach it mm. through your conversations and. Uh, even for the U.S. draft, obviously the, those kids with commitment, you know, they're kind of in a wait and see approach. But um, you know, you you sell sell families and players on your on your program before they even kind of walk in the door. Um, you know, I know the last couple of years that we've signed all our bantam picks without them even setting foot in Red Deer. So that was all based on the conversations that we had, we had had leading up to the draft. And um, you know, but at the same time, you know, we usually have a prospects camp in June, and I think for the players that that breeds a lot of familiarity in the families to get acquainted with the school setup and kind of really feel good about where they're going to be at and where they're going to be playing in the future. So, you know, obviously that's not fair. Um, You know, and with with the uncertainty of what's going on that, you know, you're really just kind of calling families and, you know, players and, you know, keeping in touch and asking them how they're doing and 
how everyone in their family are doing and, you know, what's, what's looking, you know, back on the ice looks like. And, you know, a lot of the kids have been in some regions been skating for a while and in other regions, you know, they've just gotten back on in the last few weeks. So, uh, you know, but for the players, it seems like it's business normal, but they just want to find out, you know, when, you know, when we're playing and unfortunately, you know, we don't have any of that concrete information to give them yet. Mm -hmm. Um, so, there's, uh, you know, you're just kind of calling families and touching base and everything like that just to keep the communication going. Sean Sutter, the assistant GM of the Red Deer Rebels, my guest, played in the league uh, in what, late 90s, early 2000s, and then moved on and played professionally uh, in the ECHL and overseas uh, along the way. And uh, then back to the WHL and take your, your time in the league and, and as a player and then the professional experience, how that's helped and translated as... Uh, now with uh, an, in your role with the Rebels, back in the league, but in a completely different role, obviously. Did, did you have some learning experiences that kind of translate and help you now? Yeah, like I think a lot of the things, I was pretty fortunate just with the access I had with my dad playing, you know, coaching in the NHL that, you know, being in the dressing room and watching things, um, you know, being in the room when he's maybe talking to GM or, you know, he's on the phone talking to different people. So, you know, that was obviously before, you know, internet, um, you know, so you're hearing a lot of those inside conversations and watching practices and, you know, traveling sometimes to the team when my dad was coaching, I'd get to go on a road trip a year. And there was even a few times I went on the bench during an NHL game, which, you know, now would be unheard of. So, you know, you, you, you had some different access that you did. So that kind of where, that's where everything started that, you know, they talk about, you know, seeing how those guys live on a daily basis and how they approach things and, you know, whether it's how they tape their sticks or, you know, like when I was a kid that, uh, you know, you'd watch NHL practices and all the games and I knew how, knew, you know, how everyone in the league, how they tape their sticks and what kind of sticks they used. And, you know, it was really cool to try to get a different color, a Titan stick or, you know, whatever. So I kind of grew up around that. So that led to me, you know, obviously playing and loving the game. And then, uh, you know, going in junior that, uh, you know, playing in the Western Hockey League with your last name Sutter, all the Sutters had played in Lethbridge. So, uh, you know, you, you felt some pressure to kind of, you know, uh, you know, carry that. But at the same time that, you know, I didn't really know any better after I played hockey and just in the U S mainly. So I came, came to Western Canada kind of as an unknown. I played midget as a 15 year old when the age was 16, 17, and they only allowed two bantams. So I kind of came in and cut my teeth that way and then jumped to the Western league. But, uh, I had kind of grown up in the U S. Uh, so, you know, the Western league was pretty foreign. Even when uh, Bob Bartlett, the GM of Lethbridge, drafted me, came to Boston to see me play, and I kind of said to him, hey, like, I'm going to St. Mark's or, you know, Cushing, and then I want to go to Boston University just because that's all, what all my buddies were doing, and I didn't know what the Western League does right. or, you know, you know what the Western League was. So then I moved back to Western Canada as, as a 15-year-old and saw that, and, you know, I wanted to play in the league. I knew how good of a league it was and after seeing it. But, you know, before then, you just don't know, and that's how it is with a lot of U.S. kids now. They don't they don't really know what it is because they just don't have any experience being around it or seeing it. But once I saw it, I knew I wanted to play in it. And then I was fortunate to to be a lot part of some real good programs in Lethbridge and Medicinad and Calgary. And, you know, uh, I kind of, you know, moved, you know, at different stages of my, you know, lifespan or the cycle of junior where I ended up at the end, you know, in like a real successful organization like Calgary and Dean Clark and Kelly Kissy over there. And, you know, you learn a lot from them and, you know, you, I think you learn things from, you know, everybody, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, whether you had a good team or, you know, where you had a rebuilding team, but, uh, that helped me moving on in pro. I was drafted by Calgary. So it was nice to finish in Calgary, um, because I played through some injuries that, you know, people weren't aware of. And, you know, my stats didn't really in junior show when I was, you know, no one says that you're playing through injuries, but, you know, I finally healthy when I played for the Hitman as a 20 year old and had a real good year. So me being drafted by Calgary, but, you know, no one talked about uh, the nepotism after that or anything like that. And, um, you know, I ended up uh, getting hurt again, uh, my first year pro, and that kind of set me back. But uh, I decided to go over to Europe and spend some time over there. And it was great for my wife and I. We traveled all around Europe and, you know, met some real good people and played there. And, and then that morphed into me being an assistant coach when I was in Regina that I just decided when I got to a certain pay scale uh, of, of me playing that, you know, that, uh, I was going to get into coaching and kind of try to get ahead, get ahead of everyone around my age that, you know, you see a lot of players to try to really, you know, extend things and almost, you know, keep playing that, uh, when, you know, after they're done. And, 
you know, I wanted to get into coaching at a younger age and kind of work my way up. And I coached for a couple of years in Regina and then, uh, an opportunity, uh, arose with, uh, you know, Red Deer where, you know, it was kind of interesting at the time I'd gone from assistant coach in, in uh, Regina to them talking to me about the head scouting position. And the person who was one of the full-time scouts in Red Deer ended up going to Regina. Uh-huh. So it was kind of a weird the way it worked that that opened up an opportunity with Red Deer. And then uh, I came to Red Deer and started as uh, the second uh, full-time scout and have worked my way up to, you know, being branch right-hand man on the hockey side. So that's kind of been my path or journey. Was it an easy transition to go from player to coach and then to scout? Is there a, a, a you know, was one of those steps more challenging than the next? Uh, well, I think player to coach, um, because you relate with the players. And I think that's part of the reason or the draw, you know, for a head coach is that, you know, they like that. They like that person that can relate to the players and be that bridge between the coach's office and the dressing room. And, you know, that's really what it is nowadays with a lot of the kids that, you know, that connection is so important, you know, um, so that was pretty seamless, but you had to learn more of the business side. I mean, they'll actually you're booking meals and hotels and buses. So, you know, that once you kind of learned all that, you know, you got into the rhythm. And, uh, you know, when I was in Regina, you know, you know, teams in the Western League now, they, I probably did the job of what, you know, four or five people did. But then, you know, you have one person and then they're doing a whole bunch of things. They're doing the video, the billets, you know, all the, all the travel, you know, things, uh, you know, so there's a lot on your plate, but that helps you to get organized. And uh, I know when I first talked to Brent about, you know, uh, coming to Red Deer, he's like, well, how are you going to do all this on the scouting side? And I kind of said, well, this is what I've been doing before. So this is going to, you know, you know, I could definitely do this. So uh, the one thing about for Bantam scouting, you know, uh, I have always had the way I've watched hockey is more from a scouting opinion than a coach's opinion that, uh, you know, that was a hard thing when I went from being a player to a coach was, you know, you know, the game and you, you, you can, you know, do everything within that, you know, but it's kind of forcing yourself to watch it from a structure standpoint, uh, where I've always watched more from a player evaluation standpoint. So I had to teach myself that when I was a coach and then, but that helped me when I, when I became a, uh, you know, when I became a scout that, uh, you know, that uh, I could relate to, to watching the game and evaluating the players. But the biggest thing that Randy Peterson taught me, uh, who was kind of my mentor on the scouting side, was just the body types. I mean, we're scouting Bantam. You know, you're scouting 14-year-olds. Um, some kids are late birthdays or, you know, basically like 13-year-olds. But, you know, which was just the whole body type thing. And, you know, uh, you know there, there's kind of a science to that. And that's much different than, you know, NHL scouts. They, they can just, you know, they're watching now, um, you know, where guys are at and a lot of the kids have, you know, already grown and, you know, that's whereas in Bantam, you know, I remember when we drafted Braden Burke in the seventh round, I think he was like five feet tall at the beginning of the year. And by the end of the year, he was five foot five. And I think he ended up being five foot 10. So like the kids can end up, you know, they can, they can change a lot. Um, but you kind of have to be in the rink watching all the time to, to kind of see where they are with all that. Well, that's some of the stuff I wanted to, to touch on. And when you talk about drafting a kid and what he's like at the end of, his WHL tenure, Adam Lowry is the one that comes to mind for me. I think when he was drafted, he was 5'9", and by the time he was done in, in the dub, he was 6'5", and 2'10". And I don't know how you predict that. I don't know how a scout can look at a kid that's 5'8", or 5'9", and say, well, I know he's going to end up being 6'3". How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, there's the size thing. that is, You know, you're you're looking at the kid's body type. Does he have long legs? Does he lanky free frame? What size is his feet? You know, what, what are, what are people like in his family? Does he have facial hair in his face? I mean, some people just watch the game and go off that. And then there's other people that, you know, size is important. Um, you know, the game has changed. So for a lot of people, the size isn't a factor, depending on if you have all the other, you know, attributes that they want. But, um, you know, for in terms of, you know, projecting like guys are going to be pros and their ceiling and their upside. You know, that's one thing where kids can really change a lot physically, get a lot stronger. I think the other part that's hard about Bantam scouting, too, is that uh, kids can mentally mature, you know, over the course of a summer or in one year and really change. They can go from a kid that, you know, is a soft-spoken kid or being kind of meek or being passive on the ice to, you know, they get in the gym and get a lot of confidence and, you know, really learn to push themselves. And then now all of a sudden they're a real competitive kid and they've completely changed their style of play. And, even you, you think of a player like Adam Lowry, uh, I played with Dave, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, know Dave and know him forever, but, uh, you know, Adam was one of those kids where he was a big guy with ability, but, 
you know, when he first came in the league, he seemed kind of passive, you know, and then, you know, he didn't make the world juniors that one year when I think he was 19 and then he became a beast, you know? And, uh, so, you know, and that's just, that's the same player he is now. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's, that's the one thing that's much different with band scouting is you can see a big time change that, you know, you hear some people talk about, well, I've known this kid for a long time and, you know, this is always the way he's been like, you know, he's got this real go-getter personality, but, you know, that's the one thing you see with a lot of the, the kids that their strength can really enhance their skating, but their mental maturity can really affect their compete and, you know, they're engaged that some kids have it, some kids don't, but there's a lot of kids that develop it too. So that, that's hard, you know, figuring that out. But, you know, I think at different points in the draft, you have, um, you know, you kind of know what, what you take chances on, I guess, with that, you know, you know, if that makes sense. Is there an attribute that a player has that is sort of at the top of the list for an ideal player for you, whether it's the skating ability or, you know, the way he sees the play or if he's a playmaker or a shooter or that size that comes in? Is there one of those things that is in today's game more important than the others? Uh, well, I think it goes in cycles. I mean, there was a stretch there where I think everybody wanted speed and skill. Um, and I know we were either, we were even victims of that and then, you know, I think it's all about what each organization, what, what they want, how they want to play. I think to a degree, everybody wants to play a certain way. You hear everyone say, Oh, we want to be fast. And, you know, we, uh, you know, when we play, we want to be fast and be a pressure team. And, you know, obviously everyone wants to be, you know, a skilled team and make plays. But, you know, apart, you know, I know for us with brand coaching that, you know, he prefers to have smart players, you know, guys that, uh, you know, he's willing to give them opportunity. And, you know, if they work and listen, then he'll give them opportunity. And if they're smart, then they'll keep getting better and they'll take in all the information they're, you know, that they're getting and receiving. So, um, but I think over time, like for me that, you know, you go straight from playing to coaching, that was something, you know, I learned for, you know, what players are going to work well with Brent. Um, you know, there's certain players that you have to kind of harp that, hey, we need to give these types of players a little bit more patient uh, because, you know, there's some things on the front end when they're 16, 17, they need to work on, but you're really going to want that when they're 18, 19. So there's all that with uh, junior hockey that I think comes into play that, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know everything at the beginning and, you know, it's kind of like golf that it's always different. And that's the fun thing about scouting. And I find even in junior hockey that, you know, you have somebody that had 30 points at the next year, they're getting 90 or hundred. So, hmm. you know, guys can really change and, uh, I know when I first got into coaching, the main reason why I got into coaching is because I felt I could help players get better, you know, and, uh, you know, on, on the development side. And I still feel like I do that on the scouting side that, you know, you're, you're scouting players and doing things for the draft and to acquire players for your team. But at the same time, you're also helping all the players on your list develop and create relationships with them. So they do get better. Um, they become better players and better people. So, I think that's a big part of it. I've always, you know, my dad always pressed upon that on me when I was a kid that, you know, Hey, you, uh, when you're a player, you, you teach the young guys. And then when they're older, they're going to, they're going to teach the young guys that and they'll keep on going. And that's how you build a culture. And that's how we do it with our parents, you know, and our players that, you know, they're all different and they all have different things to work on. So, you know, every individual player almost has his own little plan that you, you know, you work with them on to improve. How big of a factor is character in in regard to you might have the the most talented player in the world, but if he's not a great teammate or you know he's not well liked all the time, but he helps you win because he scores a ton, uh, that's got to be a delicate balance to, where you you're kind of uh, dealing with a guy that's maybe an egomaniac or something like that. But man, he's a he's got all the skill in the world. How do you balance that? Well, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say it wasn't huge when it came to us. Uh, you know, that's what's you know. That's what I think when you think of the Regular Rebels, you think of, you know, compete and, you know, character and everything like that. I mean, it, it, it always in some ways kind of makes me mad because it's like, hey, just, you know, someone says, oh, that guy's a Regular Rebel. It's like, well, yeah, he works hard and stuff, but we like guys that are skilled and smart too. So, mm. but at the same time, you know what? Uh, I know when it comes to Brent and Brent's our coach and obviously our owner and GM that, you know, if a kid's got character, then, you know, he's going to go to bat for him and he's going to give them a real long leash and, um, you know, those at the end of the day that, you know, the game has changed in some ways, but you know, the way you win is, you know, their playoff hockey is a grind, you know, whether it's at the national hockey league level or the Western hockey league level, you're not, you know, it's not like college hockey where you're playing one or two weekends. Like it, it's a long grind to win a championship. So I think when it comes around to that and where your team's at that part of the cycle that, you know, that, um, that character really comes into play. If, 
you know, if your best players can be your hardest working guys and your character, you know, some of your best character guys in your team, then you have a real chance to win when those guys mature in the league. So, you know, you're always looking for that. It's so hard now to combine, you know, that skill set with character. You know, you have some guys that, you know, they're really skilled and can score a lot or make a lot of plays, but maybe they're not back checking when they should or, you know, playing both sides of the puck. So, you know, I guess if anything that, you know, that, that all around game, you know, uh, with those parallels drawn to character is something that we've always looked for a red deer. Cause those are the type of players that, you know, Brent's going to work with and really help them develop. Uh, one of the differences uh, that you guys deal with uh, as opposed to NHL clubs, when they're drafting a player, I mean, they're drafting men at that point, when you're drafting, you're basically drafting maybe a family in some regards, because you're going to be dealing with the parents a lot more obviously than an NHL team. Can I, you know, quote unquote, hockey dad influence whether you draft a kid or not. It's like if we take this kid, we're going to have to deal with that dad who's going to be calling us and complaining all the time about his kids not getting enough ice time. Can the way a parent interacts with you guys in the uh, scouting process influence whether you're interested uh, or not in his kid? A hundred percent. I mean, there's there is situations or scenarios where you know, based on the parent interaction that we'll just say, you know, we're not touching this kid. Yeah. We don't want anything to do with it. And, you know, there's things that happen behind the scenes. You see players get moved in the league and some people don't understand that, that, you know, that those are the things that come into play. I know we're very upfront with all the families, you know, going through the draft process that we have a zero tolerance policy of parent involvement. And that when they get to the national hockey league or they become a pro player, that they're not calling the coach or GM. And that's something we press upon all our families when they become a member of our organization. So, that's our philosophy. We're, we're pretty fortunate. We don't have to deal with anything, but I think it's also because we're very upfront with the families and, and the players and uh, the hockey becomes the focus. And it's very simple with us. We, we tell all the players that you get what you earn. Um, and we have a lot of examples of that on our team with the exception, uh, you know, I think the two years before this last year that we had the most listed or free agent players on our team, you know, some of that's a byproduct of, uh, you know, coming out of the Memorial cup, but but it just proves that, you know, whether you're a first round pick or you're a list player, when it comes to playing and the functionality of how, how your role is going to be with your team, it, that's all going to be dictated by, you know, your, uh, you know, your, by your learning and your effort and, and your approach. Um, but, you know, when it comes to families that, you know, we do not only, you know, the research into the player, you do it into the parents, you know, you talk to coaches, you talk to teachers, trainers, that there is some some situations where, you know, we have some concerns over a parent being involved that, you know, that, uh, but we really like the player and we know he has a real good, you know, character and that he's going to be good for us. That sometimes we'll, you know, we'll veer away from that, you know, you know, uh, you know, we won't be concerned with the parent um, because we know when the player comes to play for us that, you know, that we can manage the parent. But, uh, but, you know, I think that's a big, big issue now is just that, uh, Coming up from minor hockey, a lot of parents are used to having a say. Right. Um, whereas with us, you know, the way we look at it is like, hey, we're, you know, we're the academy, you know, because we're paying for everything. But at the same time, you know, like, uh, you know, we have all the people in place. So your role as a parent is to, you know, love and support them, not be his coach or, you know, the GM. So, but, uh, you know, to answer your question, you know, I think we're a little bit more direct with it, but I think a lot of parents like it, you know, because uh, they get to, they don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And they can let us control that or, you know, manage that. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the American draft. And just it, it was the first year that the, the WHL has put it in. Uh, how was that unrolled this year? I mean, did you like the way it was uh, was put out and the way it was handled? I mean, you guys had the first pick, so that that's not going to happen every year. So I imagine you enjoyed that. But when you when you go through that process, how is it different than the regular Bantam draft? Uh, well, I think it's different with the U.S. players. I mean, typically, if you have a U.S. kid that is, you know, very interested in the Western League, that, you know, he might fall into anywhere between the second and the fourth round. And then the team's kind of taking a gamble on him, and they sit and kind of wait, you know, for the player to make a decision whether he wants to come to the league or, you know, at what point he wants to come. Uh, you know, I think different teams always had different philosophies with the U.S. players. I know our philosophy in Red Deer that Brent, you know, at the ownership level has said that, you know, we want the guys who are going to be pros, and, you know, we're on, maybe that's a couple of guys in age group or a handful of guys, but other than that, you know, if we're going to spend the money for the players to travel, you know, travel to Red Deer and, and everything like that, that we want to deal with the elite guys. So, um, so, you know, but with the new U S draft, it obviously spreads out the talent and, uh, you know, everybody can kind of talk to families. And I think it was, you know, it was really nice in the sense that, uh, 
you know, I think it gave a lot of the families exposure to the Western Hockey League teams, you know, went through, uh, you know, and talked to, I think we probably talked to probably around, I think it was about 50, 50 to 60 families, um, just talking to them and doing the same thing we do with the Canadian players, but you really sell the league. And, you know, a lot of them don't have any knowledge of how the league, you know, works and they get some told some things that aren't factual. So I think there was a lot of parents that after hearing all that stuff were, you know, were quite impressed and, you know, then they don't, not only do they hear it from you, but, you know, they hear it from a number of other teams who are contacting them. So I think from an exposure standpoint and an educational standpoint, the Western Hockey draft was huge, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, you, you have a lot of parents that, you know, get uh, exposed to a little more uh, the event in Seattle where they got to see a real game. You know, you talk to a lot of kids and, you know, ask them about it and they were just, you know, they thought that was awesome. You know, it's a great, uh, great experience, great game to watch, you know, places packed. Uh, the fan experience was awesome. So, you know, that's the thing. And I know even from my, my own perspective, coming from the U.S., that I didn't really know what the Western Hockey League was either right. just because I hadn't seen it. You know, like I, I was used to all my buddies in Boston, what, you know, what they thought. They didn't know what the Western League was. So, um, but I think the U.S. draft was, you know, we'll see how it goes going forward. I mean, these kids obviously have options in front of them and different things. And, you know, for some of them, it's not so much, you know, the NCAA thing, it's just, you know, what's going to get them to pro pro ready and to the NHL. And, you know, for the elite players, you know, they have, you know, major junior hockey or the U S national development team, you know, they have those options in place and there's other players that, um, you know, that's not really in, you know, in kind of the realm of options. So things kind of play themselves out. Uh, you know, like I said, we've been always been very selective in red deer, you know, with, uh, the players we're picking that, uh, you want elite players and, when we picked Grayson Sachin and Aiden Willis, we thought both those guys kind of fit that bill. And, you know, we, we felt that if Grayson was a Canadian player, that he, he would have been one of the top picks in uh, the Western Hockey League draft. So, uh, you know, and obviously he's got some Edmonton roots and, you know, everything say. like that. So, yeah. So, I mean, you, you feel if you're going to, you know, take a chance on a player that, you know, you, you have as good a chance with him as you do anybody. But um, that, that's just half the battle with U.S. players is getting them here having them see it, you know, having some uh, familiarity with things that, you know, you hope everything, you know, opens up where the Americans are allowed to come and, you know, check things out. Cause I think that's huge. Once they see our league and, you know, see everything that, you know, I think it's a place they want to be. And I think that's why you see more of the Arizona kids, Colorado kids, some of those kids have come in and they go home and talk to their buddies and, you know, everything like that. And they're talking about it in the dressing room or, you know, at the gym. And, you know, that's what uh, leads into more and more guys coming. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of trying to get more American players into the league because I think they're, as you just were alluding to at the end, so, such an untapped market still uh, for uh, players to come out of those states you mentioned, plus California and, and even in the Pacific Northwest. When you've talked to, when you spoke to all those families, you said upwards of 50 families, and some of them didn't know much about the league and some were told some misleading things or some untruths. Can you touch on that a little bit? What What were the questions the parents wanted to know about the league? And what were some of those uh, misconceptions untrue about the league? Well, I think, you know, they, they've just grown up, you know, in an environment where everyone just, you know, for example, the Minnesota kids that, uh, you know, they've, their focus is very narrow and they only, you know, look at certain things. And, you know, whereas there's other different parts of the country, they have exposure. But, you know, I think the main things are just, you know, the, uh, the educational component. Uh, I know here in Red Deer, we run, you know, a, a high school setup, it's very similar to all the academies that, you know, parents are paying five figures for. So that's built into our program. So you educate them on that, um, you know, on the education side of high school. And then just the fact that, you know, they can take college or university classes while they're playing for you, you know, versus if they go, you know, the junior A route and the college route, you know, they're, they're having a gap in their academics where, you know, once they graduate high school, they can't take any college or university classes before they go to an NCAA school. So, you know, whereas in major junior, most kids are, you know, graduating high school, you know, unless they're a late birthday, they're graduating when they're 17. And, you know, they can take college or university classes up until they graduate from the league when they're 19 or 20. So, you know, that's uh, that's a couple of years where you can be taking classes Whereas, you know, if you go to junior A, junior a route, you know, college route, then, you know, you're going to be doormat with your academics. So we walk through that and, you know, a lot of families aren't aware of that. And, you know, then just the scholarship program for every year you play in the league and, you know, if a player ever suffers a career injury that you get four years of schooling paid for. So, 
you know, those are things that uh, aren't there on the NCAA side where, you know, some kids it's basically four one-year contracts that after every year they, you know, the school decides that they want the player to return or, you know, maybe takes less scholarship or, you know, whatever. Whereas with us that, you know, as long as you're on the roster that you're getting schooling and everything like that and you're getting a scholarship. So there's some real big differences, but, you know, you try to really outline that and draw that out and, you know, try to just be honest with people and, you know, you're just telling them how it is specific to your organization and your league. And, you know, I think that a lot of them really welcome that versus, you know, try to, on the flip side of that, you know, that uh, there becomes a spear campaign. I think when some people are, you know, trying to, you know, re- you know, recruit against major junior, where we can just say that, hey, this is what we do and this is how it works. Now go compare this to everybody else. And then you're going to see some differences. So, um, you know, that's, that's the way we approach it. And, it's, uh, you know, we find it pretty effective when you kind of draw it out for them that way. Sean, the uh, last question for you, and I get this, uh, asked this uh, all the time. It's a 16-year-old draft in the Q. It's 16 in the OHL. It's 15 uh, in the WHL. Uh, why? Uh, at this point, I know what the reasoning was when it started, but at this point, wouldn't it be better if the WHL had a 16, and we're drafting 16-year-old players, and then those guys could step into the league four months after they were drafted instead of waiting uh, 16 months uh, for those guys to make an impact with the team as a scout wouldn't it be easier quote unquote easier to draft a 16 year old than a 15 year old yeah i think obviously it's something that's been in place for a while um you know obviously on the scouting side that that extra year like there's a ton of change right. you know in the uh in that year from you know the bantam to their first year visit you have some guys who go from being late round picks to maybe being first round picks and You'd have some guys that are top two or three, two or three round picks that might slip to being, you know, mid or late round picks. So I think there'd be a lot of change, you know, obviously that you know, you're drafting a player that could step into a league. So there's marking that goes into that. And, you know, for, for the teams that, you know, that, uh, you know, it helps them within their cycle in terms of rebuilding and everything like that. I think the one difference between the Western League and Quebec and Ontario is geographically, it's, it's a much bigger area. So in the sense that, you know, you do have some families that, you know, they've never actually been to the city, you know, that's drafted them, you know, so it takes a while to build that relationship. So, uh, you know, or just to see it and travel to it and kind of experience it before they feel they can make an informed decision. Um, you know, so there's that side of it too. Um, you know, we don't, we don't hold against a family from BC or Manitoba if they said they've, you know, that they've never been to Red Deer that, you know, gives them opportunity over, you know, maybe a year or sometimes even two before they have to make a decision on, you know, what route they want to go that, you know, they've had multiple opportunities to to be educated and come in and see it and see how everything works and watch the league from a distance. So uh, there's obviously a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, there's there's a part from the hockey side where I say, you know, it's be good. And then for myself on the recruiting end, I think that, you know, sometimes it's nice to have that extra time, you know, not only from a family perspective, being educated, but only from, from a team perspective, you get to know a player and really watch them develop and, you know, you work with them on the development side on things they need to work on. And sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, things don't work out, you know, so it kind of allows yourself some more time to, for both parties to kind of get to know each other and, you know, versus Ontario and Quebec, you know, they're drafting players and those guys are stepping in the league right away. Um, you know, so it, it's obviously a little bit different, even with, uh, Ontario, I know they don't list players, uh, you know, they have a draft and they can have free agents to their camp where, you know, I know for us, like, uh, you know, some of our best players over the years have been list players. Like, we wouldn't have Brandon Hagel or Reese Johnson or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on and on. There's been a bunch of guys that, you know, that those guys were list players. So if we had a banner, you know, just a midget draft that, you know, you draft some guys and those are your only guys. So I know one thing for us as an organization that we take a lot of pride in trying to find crazy players because there's always some of the of the crack. So, you know, versus, you know, just having a draft and then, you just work on the next draft. We're watching all levels, junior A, you know, major, major, 15-year-old league. You're, you're trying to find those guys that, uh, you know, that maybe have slipped through cracks because some of those guys can be really good players for you. Lots to digest there. Uh, Sean, I really appreciate your time. We went uh, way longer than I told you we would, so I appreciate your flexibility. Uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you at the rank, uh, hopefully sooner as opposed to later. Until then, stay safe, though. Yeah, no call any time, and uh, it's really good to talk hockey. I haven't done it for a while, so, uh, you know, it's fun to talk about. And, uh, you know, best of luck with your show. I know you guys got a lot of followers, and, you know, uh, you know, it's really catched on, too. More and more people are listening, so I wish you best of luck, and hopefully we can be back on someday. Excellent. Thanks for this, Sean. Yeah, no, sounds good. Take care and stay safe. 
That's uh, Sean Sutter, the assistant general manager of the Red Deer Rebels. Really enjoyed that conversation uh, when I had, I had actually talked to Moon or Cam Moon, the uh, the voice of the Rebels and the media contact for the Rebels. I had spoken with him uh, a couple of days earlier in the week and just about, you know, well, how things are going, catching up kind of stuff. And uh, mentioned that, man, it's been tough to find guests uh, the last uh, month or so. And uh, he suggested uh, giving Sean a call. He said that he's a uh, really good interview, and which he was. And when I had started with Sean, I said, well, you know, 15 minutes or so and ended up being half an hour or more. Uh, well, more, actually, because it was more that doesn't go into the actual interview that you hear. Uh, but just really great stuff. And I enjoyed that conversation a lot. So re- really appreciate uh, Sean making the time and for the tip from uh, Cam Moon. All right. Only one more guest for this week's uh, show, and that is a 2020 draft spotlight segment. Out of the USHL, the defenseman, his name is Mitchell Miller. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, this is Brock Besser from the Waterloo Blackhawks. Hey, it's Kyle Connor from the Youngstown Fans. I'm Mr. Gergensen from Dubuque Fighting Saints. Hi, it's Ali Tolvin from Sioux City Musketeers. Hi, this is Ryan Patolny, former player with the Lincoln Stars. This is Cooper Marodi from the Sioux Falls Stampede. Blake McLaughlin from the Chicago Steel. Hey, this is Sam Gagne, formerly of the Sioux City Musketeers of the USHL. Hey, I'm Wade Allen from the Tri-City Storm. Hi, this is Tom Gilbert, former Chicago Steel player. Jack Curry from the Waterloo Blackhawks. It's Casey Middlestaff from the Green Bay Gamblers, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's no time for mistakes. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. It's definitely one worth talking about. Tell them why, bud. Juicy Gossip New England Pale Ale. This bright and full-flavored IPA is flashy and delicious. Tropical flavors of pineapple and mango dominate this perfectly hoppy beer. Player comparable? Alex Ovechkin. Specialized job and every time is a party. Troubled Monk. Visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I got a bad feeling about this. Okay, last segment on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show, and uh, it was I was going to share a conversation with a player that, um, well, it's Mitchell Miller. I already tweeted out the uh, early access uh, link to the interview that I did with him on uh, Friday. A draft-eligible player, played for the uh, Tri-City Storm of the USHL. He's headed to uh, North Dakota uh, this fall. The problem is, and I've decided to cut the interview from uh, this week's episode, when I was done and I actually tweeted out the uh, the link to that interview, uh, an NHL team got a hold of me and uh, they just asked how the interview went and I said it was fine. Uh, and they asked uh, how he handled questions about his quote-unquote checkered past i had no idea what they were referring to uh, so they sent me a link uh, to well it was an incident that happened back in uh, 27 2016 rather um, so it's four years ago at that point uh, mitchell would have been 14 years old but it's it's quite a disturbing uh, incident uh, and it went through the legal system and as a 14 year old you know, I don't know what the laws, how the law is different uh, in the states and in Ohio where he was uh, to what it is here. But newspaper stories about it were naming the the people involved, including the victim. Uh, that wouldn't happen up here as a, a minor. Uh, so I'm not I'm not going to go into details about it, but it it's a disturbing story. And normally, uh, I have had players on the show in the past who have had off ice issues, but I ask them about it. I give them the opportunity to comment about it. Because I didn't know this, I couldn't do that uh, with Mitchell. Um, afterwards, after I'd been told this and I looked into the story more and uh, saw you know, several articles about it, including you know, the uh, initial report from The Blade in Ohio uh, back in early March of 2016, and then after the first uh, court appearance in uh, mid-March of that year, and then after sentencing in April of that year, uh, and I, I'm, I'm quite honestly, I'm just not comfortable. So I've decided to um, at least postpone putting that interview into an episode of the show. 
I did reach out to Mitchell and also his uh, agent, uh, but I have not heard back yet. Um, so if and when I do hear from them and one of them would like to discuss on the record the incident four years ago, then, you know, I would put the interview back into uh, a full episode of the show. It's already out there for uh, patrons, uh, the the paid subscribers uh, through patrons, so I'll leave it there. But um, and, and I'm not trying to sewer an 18-year-old kid for something he did, something really bad that he did uh, as a 14-year-old, because I don't think any of us would be like would like to be judged by our worst day and i believe in second chances and that a person can evolve and change Uh, but this particular incident was gross on a number of levels um and quite frankly it's a it's a story i don't know how many people know about it i mean there are reports about it uh, news articles about it so you could just google his name and and get the story yourself Uh, but nhl teams know about it and if there was an NHL combine, they would have asked him about it. And since players have been talking to teams, I'm sure he has been asked about it by NHL teams. If I'd have known about it, I would have asked him about it as well. Uh, because I know that that's, that's what teams would have done. So I had to sleep on it. I, I actually I flip-flopped back and forth a number of times, even including this morning. Now as I'm talking to you, it's now Sunday. I started putting the show together yesterday morning. And even when I woke up today, I there was a part of me that was just going to play the interview as it is, and because it's 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 a fine interview, it's uh, it's a hundred percent just hockey. Uh, but because I didn't know of this incident and didn't address it, I felt like it's missing a very key component of him. So I'm not going to play the interview right now, and in fairness to him, I won't play it until he's able to come on and just speak to it himself. So, unfortunately, just the one guest this week, and I apologize for that. Uh, Next week on the show will technically be the season finale of uh, season 15. Then I'm going to take a week or two off at the start of August, have my uh, COVID-19 test uh, scheduled for uh, Monday, and then, uh, assuming everything is good, uh, family's going to go on a, uh, a brief vacation into the wilderness, and then we'll come back for season 16, the first show Uh, in August, probably in mid-August, will be the debut of the next season. So, not the way I wanted to end this week's episode, but that does wrap it up. Until next week, everybody, my name is Guy Flaming. Be kind to each other. I'm out. See ya.